Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is Aid, and you are listening to show number 25 and we have a special guest with us this week. Uh, looking forward to talking to him, looking forward to learning about his photography. Uh, but Graham, first of all, how you doing buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you, Wade. Yeah, I've had um, a fun week uh, developing more pictures than actually taking them this week. Um, I, that, that's a conversation for another day because it's not been an entirely successful week of developing film, but I'll, I'll save that for some other time um, because I too am very excited to have our guest with us today. Uh, it's a, a nice polar opposite, really, to um, Eric, who recently who's shooting expired film from 50 years ago and and random faraway places with nothing remotely new and no human beings in it to somebody who takes beautiful portraits with lovely fresh film uh welcome to the show rob hawthorne hi guys well, Rob, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a fan, actually, of your photography, too. Uh, I, you've got a, a lot of uh, portraits, sort of, um, uh, are they outdoor, naturally lit, sort of fashion-type portraits with models? Uh, you know, t- tell us, um, you know, where do you get these models from? <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite, it's kind of difficult when you start out trying to find um, people to do shoots with, but... Um, you know, there's a few websites out there for where you can find what they call TFP models, like time, what they used to call time for prints, which, you know, these days it's more like time for files, time for scans, but they're still called TFP. Uh, and you can find models who are willing to shoot for, for nothing if it's for their portfolio and for your portfolio, kind of a collaborative thing. Um, yeah, it can be tough sometimes to find, uh, to find what you want. But uh, it's certainly possible. Because I understand actually that um, I mean you have a, a feed that that looks like a, a fully professional photographer um, enjoying playing with film on his day off. But I understand you're doing it as an amateur, and and it's all for the love of it. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, in my work life, I, I do work with cameras and I shoot video, and it's all very digital. And I, when I'm not in front of a digital camera, I'm in front of a computer editing and doing very kind of very digital techie things. So when it comes to stills, I, I like to be able to get away from all of that and just and, and shoot on a very manual camera and, you know, let a lab take over when it comes to the scanning and all that kind of thing and just enjoy the photography. But it's still, I still sense you're working on the concepts behind it and you have a, an aim in mind because, you know, the, the shots or the sets of shots, they do, they, 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 they are uh, something that says, you know, there's, a, there's thought behind it. There's, there's a little bit of pre-production, a little bit of uh, arrangement, sometimes with props, sometimes with locations, that sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I definitely try to do that. Um, and I think that it's a really good idea to do that when you... You know, the first time you you do a portrait shoot with a stranger, you're, you're probably worrying too much about not making a mistake on your camera and not being too awkward and trying to kind of build the rapport and that kind of thing. And you're just happy if you come away with some shots that you consider are usable. But, you know, very soon you realize that it's not enough to just to, to, to get a, a model or, you know, whether it's a guy or a girl, someone who, who who's wanting a portrait or someone who is just there because you want someone to model for your shoot, it's not enough. You need to have you need to have a vision in your head of what you want the pictures to look like, and 
and then you can do that and, it, and, it, and it's very satisfying when they when they come out in the end so whereabouts are you drawing your inspiration from when you're looking to create your pictures is there um do you have source we think yeah i want this kind of image not necessarily other photographers work but you know other other inspirations out there what's what inspires you to go out and take the kind of pictures you're taking yeah i don't know that that's a tough one i think the they just sort of come into my head. I, I'm not, I don't particularly actually follow that many other photographers. Um, I, I quite often, if I'm looking for a model, um, I am quite specific in what I'm looking for and it helps me make a plan for what I'm going to do with a shoot. If you have a look at my feed, you'll see recently I've done quite a bit of work with redheads and that's not, that's mm. not, coincidence I really like and I like you also notice on my feet I like to do a lot of stuff with natural backgrounds trees leaves grass you know natural surroundings and I just I really like the balance of colors you get especially with film with yeah. you know, for example you know a, a pale redhead and, and lovely kind of lush foliage and that sort of thing yeah, no, I, I've absolutely seen. I mean, the, the the sort of the colours and as you said, the models that you're choosing in the backgrounds. Sometimes it almost feels like they're um, like urban reinterpretations of some of the sort of pre-Raphaelite stuff because it's these very soft colours and that that the palette that you're using it always makes me think of that kind of stuff. Um, why is it um, natural light predominantly for you? Uh, is this uh, a choice that you come to because it's is just what you like working with um do you do any studio work uh <laughs> <laughs> well okay so that well two reasons one i i like shoots that have a location and the location is is as much okay and not not as much scratch that um but it's, it's part of the shoot you know it's it, it's part of the look that you're going for if i you know take a picture of an example as an example um of a girl you know standing in front of a tree and there's the color of the leaves and the kind of the, the balance of, of the colors and the the, the framing that you cre can create doing something like that that's part of it that's part of what i want to do the other reason is uh you know studios when you're using a film camera and trying to do lighting uh, and flash and and with not necessarily very fast film uh yeah it's just something i haven't done yet uh, and you know in the summer i'd rather be outside in the sunshine what is it that drew you to portraits in the first place i don't really know i think i just i just realized that i find most pictures that don't have a person in them quite boring and forgettable you hear that, Eric? Go to hell. Well, no, no, I'm, to I'm totally with Rob on this one, I have to say. There, there, there are very few landscapes in the world that wouldn't uh, wouldn't look better with some people in them and uh, you maybe maybe some nice lighting and, and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I don't, obviously, um, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not speaking about anyone else's photography in particular, but with my own photos, most of the photos I take that don't have anyone in them, I never look at again and I think that is the case with most people you know even if you're not into photography so you you go on your holidays and you take thousands of pictures of all, all the sites and some pictures of your family and stuff you, you only look back at the pictures that have your family in them right yeah you, know, you don't look back at all those pictures of, of landmarks and things and I do 
I do take some some I guess you'd say landscape shots sometimes and the occasional what you'd call street photography I suppose but um I just like photos that have people in them no, I can totally get behind that. I, I totally understand that. In fact, uh, even just last week on the show, uh, when we were talking about longer term projects, uh, Graham got me to admit to something that I wasn't quite so keen to admit to because it's, it's a project that I am uh, nervous about, quite frankly, although I recognise the, the value in it. And that would be much more about taking photographs of people, which I do love to do people outside of my family even which is something that i haven't done as often as i'd like to so uh, yeah totally with you on that so could you um for the benefit of particularly for somebody like me who has zero experience of proper portrait photography beyond just pointing at my children and saying stand still you little buggers um, could you talk me through um what one of your shoots is going to involve from sort of inception to getting the pictures up the other end how do you get from a to b with that hmm. um everyone is different really to be honest um more recently i mean when i started doing it i you know uh, I, I was asking people that i know and seeing if there were any friends of friends who might want to take have their portrait taken or might be willing to to um to model for me but these days like I said, I'm trying to approach it. I'm trying to have the idea and have the concept in my head before I find a model to do a shoot. So I know, so I know what I want to achieve. So it gives me something to aim towards and something to use to, to narrow down who I'm going to use in the shoot and, and also the location, they have, have a location in mind and that sort of thing. I really, really recommend if you want to do a portrait shoot, put together a mood board, you know, put together a collage on, on Pinterest or somewhere else that can, that that can communicate your ideas to people you want to work with you know whether it's a model or it could be could be a stylist or makeup artist or someone who's going to be involved so that everyone can see that you've really thought this out and, and what you're actually aiming towards it's a really good idea to do that that sounds like a really good idea i mean essentially from, from what you're saying it sounds like if you behave and put yourself forward in a professional manner you're more likely to attract the kind of people who also want to behave in a professional manner. Right, um, absolutely. That's, that's really good advice. Okay, so um, so you've, you've got your model sorted and hopefully this model has turned up on the day. How, how does the day work out for you? <laughs> um, well, you know, you're meeting a stranger for the first time. You've got to chat to them for a bit. Definitely don't start clicking away the shutter five minutes after you've met them meet them for a coffee first get a coffee to go have you know walk and talk look for locations try and uh, you know it's a bit lame to say like build up a rapport as if it's that easy but um you know get to get to know them a bit first it it, it doesn't mean you're necessarily it's necessarily a, a portrait shoot like oh you really need to capture their personality even if you you're directing them and you want them to do exactly as you say and, and pose in the way you want and, and achieve what you've got in your head, you should still get to know them and, and you know try and get them comfortable. And it also obviously going to help to uh, help you to feel more comfortable. Um, yeah, Find, have a walk, go to your location. Presumably, you've got a location in mind, and yeah, and it kind of starts from there. Yeah, so and uh, well, I suppose we have to ask the gear question because it'd be rude. So what yeah. what are you generally shooting with when you're going out? 
I my main camera, and I've tried a lot of cameras. You know, I've gone through a stage of, of wanting to try lots of different things. I've tried a lot of cameras. My main thirty-five millimeter camera is an Olympus OM-1. Yeah, <laughs> good choice. <laughs> the or, or really, choice. really any any Olympus from yeah. the OM system, basically, because it's about the lenses, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah, amazing lenses on that system. Really reliable, nice kind of clean image it doesn't have so much character that the, the pictures become about the camera that you've shot them on yeah yeah you know I mean, the, the 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 shoot is it's up to you to make it look to get the look that you want it's, it's not going to come out and you're going to like oh that that comes from that very obscure camera and, and the, then the picture becomes about that and doesn't really become mm-hmm. about you anymore that's a really good uh, point actually i i like that because uh, and you know we talk a lot on this show about cameras that have personality and, mm. and I think we've even on occasion talked about the fact that, you know, is, is, is that a crutch? You know, is, is using red scale film a crutch? Is using a Holger a crutch? Is it that we are yeah, hiding behind the kit, as it were? Yeah. Uh, or, or does it genuinely help you be more expressive? So I totally agree. I, I, I even think in banging on about the fact that you're shooting on film is can be a bit of a crutch. It's going to be slightly controversial to say this on a film photography podcast no it's all good it's all good but 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 if you you know if if you make it too much about that then it's it's a sort of um it just kind of excuses you a bit from from the rest of uh, of just of just being your own photographer i mean I, i love the look that you get from film that's that's one of the main reasons that i shoot on it i want my pictures to come out with those with the beautiful color balance that you get from different films and you get to know which films you really like but i don't know sometimes i think you just shouldn't mention the fact you shoot some film you should get photography out there and just say that this is i'm I'm just a photographer these are my photos do you like them not i I shoot on film only on film do you like them do you know what i mean I'm guessing you do tag all your uh, photos on the oh, shot on film. Dad, you've got you've got to give people an opportunity to find the photographs, haven't you? So that I mean, that's yeah, the yeah. thing about the internet is you you have to use the hashtags and you have to use the ones that are going to draw people in because yeah. otherwise nobody will ever see your photos. So I, I got no no problem Go with that. Back to the process of um, uh, of a shoot, actually it. It is it is kind of interesting and something a bit different for the model sometimes when you're shooting on film. I don't think mm. shooting on film it, it actually is that unusual for models that might be doing um, really professional fashion stuff. I think there's more film shooting going on than you necessarily know because, like I was saying, people don't necessarily make it a big make a big point of it. It's more of a sort of I was saying this to. Uh, Graham earlier I think for, for some photographers it's more of a secret weapon yeah the fact that they shoot on film um but if you are working with um a model or you know not necessarily a model but a stranger you're meeting up with a stranger to do some shots yeah tell them that you're shooting on film explain to them that you're not going to be taking 300 photos you're going to be taking 36 photos or maybe a couple of rolls or whatever and what that means that you're going to be going for quality over quantity and you know each shot might take a bit longer you might need to hold poses very slightly longer you know manual focusing manual uh, aperture and all that thing and not not to you know tell them not to 
worry if you if you bring the camera up to your eye and then don't hit the shutter it doesn't mean that they, they've done anything wrong it just means that you've thought like, no actually that's that shot you know it's not it's not right move on that's that's a great advice actually because that's the thing i would never have thought of but it's absolutely it's a thought process that we all go through when you're shooting film of yeah you lift it up to your eye and go no not going to take that um and and if you don't explain why that's happened that could really really knock the confidence of someone who you're doing a shoot with yeah that's a great tip do you always shoot 35 millimeter no i shoot medium format as well um and I've tried a few different things. I, I've got a TLR, I've got a Yashica uh, 635. But I recently got a camera that I really like, which is um, a Fuji GS645. Oh, yeah. Ah, that's really. an interesting one, because isn't that, I suppose, that would work really well for your style of photography, because that's a, isn't that mm. the aspect ratio that is portrait, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and 645 is great for portraits, because, yeah. Uh yeah, it, it's it, and and the one thing about that um, rangefinder is like unlike basically any other medium format rangefinder of the same kind of era, it actually has a normal focal length lens. You know, you you look at all the others, the, the kind of um, Bronica six four five or like Mamiya seven. Mm. I mean, they have a, a few lens options. Um, but they, they generally seem to be aimed kind of more towards street shooters. They yeah. use a, a sort of a 35 millimeter lens equivalent in 35 millimeter format-ish or even wider. So yeah. it's not really great for portrait stuff. But um, I mean, there's there's some stuff from recently on my feed, which is Fuji GS645, and it's got such a nice lens. Yeah, really nice camera. Because it also it's compared to things like the... Um... Mamiya, um, whatever it is, R7. What's it called? The, the rangefinder. Um, there's a substantial price difference as well, isn't there, between those two cameras? You can pick up the Fuji for. Mm. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's a reasonable price. Whereas the Mamiya's are bloody expensive. Yeah. Well, you know, if it does what you want it to do, then. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> again great advice. What do you tend to use when you're shooting? In terms of film, yeah, um, I really like Fuji Pro 400H. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I started shooting with portrait. I like portrait as well, but I really like um, Fuji Pro 400. And I mostly shoot color, but recently started to um, to get into black and white as well. I mean, I've always done a bit of black and white occasionally, but um, still going to. I, I used to sort of think, well, why would you do a portrait shoot in black and white when you could do it in colour and then you mm. could decide in post? But actually black and white, it does have something different on its own and it's a different process because you you have to start to try and see in black and white when you're doing the shoot, which is a, yeah. is a skill, I think. That I'm not saying I necessarily have it yet, but that's what I'm trying to learn, sure. Yeah, I, fi- I find that when I'm shooting in black and white, actually, you have to uh, imagine what it's going to look like and what it's going to do um, and, and reduce it to, to tones and, and brightness and darkness rather than worrying too much about colour contrast. Yeah. Well, one other thing about um, about working with, with a model or, you know, a, a sitter who wants a portrait about shooting on film, which I, I think can be an advantage, is if you have that, you know, while you're having a chat with them beforehand, and you say a little bit about the fact that you're shooting on film. Um, 
you know, don't don't go overboard and be really geeky about it because they're they're not geeky about it. They're not that interested, honestly. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you tell them a bit about it and explain, look, we're not. There's no screen. We're not going to be able to look at the photos straight afterwards, and you know, because you because you're taking pictures and not then bringing the camera down and looking at a screen and, and you know making a judgment and that somehow showing on your face. You're just clicking. Yeah. All, all they're all they're doing is posing. And all you're doing is taking photos and clicking, and and they already know because you've had a chat to them that you're not they're mm. going to see these pictures for a couple of weeks. I think it actually takes away a lot of pressure, and you can forget about the photos, forget about the final part, yeah. just, and just just think about the shoot, just think about poses, and just think about light, and just think about framing. Yeah, and that's what I love about cam- you know things like the OM1 as well because it's a very simple camera. It's yeah. completely sort of gets out of the way and just lets you shoot. That's because uh, it's one of those things that whenever I see people, you know, I was out down in London um, last weekend and seeing people taking pictures around. I think there's somebody taking, uh, I'm going to guess, engagement photos on the steps by Trafalgar Square in the miserable weather. Um, but it's just that thing of every time they take a shot, looking down, and, and that must really break the flow and, and you yeah. know, just the, the momentum and the, and the connection with the people you're shooting um so that's yeah that's a, a really a and, big and advantage every, every time you do that for the model they know that you're looking down and they feel like they're making a judgment about how how, how they look how they've posed you know yeah. how so so they're a thousand times within a shoot or whatever they're being judged a little bit yeah, micro judge. Can, yeah. can I ask you a, a question leading on from that then about something which I, again, have just no clue or idea at all and I would love to learn more is, um, about posing the models. Um, is, you said you started off shooting uh, friends and family. <laughs> is that where you sort of learned to do posing? Did you have experience with this beforehand? How do you deal with it now? Yeah, well... <laughs> A good model, a good model knows how to pose, I guess, and and a good photographer can direct. And directing is one of those things that, you know, when you have that that period where you, you're just having a conversation with the model and uh, trying to find some common ground and connect with them a little bit and build up a little bit of a rapport. You know, some people you connect with better than others, and obviously it's easier to direct people if, if you've got over slightly that sort of awkwardness mm. uh, but yeah a bit of gentle directing is is good it's worked for me don't be don't be overly picky about you know the exact you know don't spend hours saying no move your arm a little bit more a little bit more or something you know if, if they if they get it and um this is why having the mood board, having a mood board that shows some examples of the kind of thing you want to do is such a good idea to do. It yeah. So they know what kind of um, what what kind of poses you're looking for. Yeah, that's that's great advice because that that is something that has always uh, put me off. I think doing that kind of photography is just that fear of uh, going there without the person in front of me having a clue of what i want from them and me also not really having much of a clue and just staring at each other blankly and going well i don't know 
I'm a little teapot. Can you do that for me? It's a bit, it's a bit like reporting, recording a podcast, I suppose, really, isn't it? It's like sitting there week after week. Oh, what should we talk about this week? Okay. Listen, Rob, this is um, you know, great. Thank you very much for uh, subjecting yeah. yourself yeah. to our interrogations. Uh, uh, as you can tell, this is something that Graham and I have uh, a huge interest in, but possibly less experienced than we might have or would like to have. Uh, but I'll tell you what we'll do uh, we'll come back after this short break and uh, we'll talk about some stuff uh, that we've been doing as well as probably more stuff that you've been doing as well I talked a little bit last week about Instax monochrome and I've was pretty excited because it was all new and uh, I think it had just arrived but I hadn't really had a chance to do anything with it so now I have as we record this week I've actually finished my first pack uh, which uh, is great um, and I just thought we'd talk a little bit about it there's been a, a bit about it on on the internet uh, although not so much as I thought so maybe it's not so widely available uh, as I thought it would be but for those listeners that would like to follow along with the conversation, I have posted nine out of ten shots to our Flickr group, the Sunny 16 podcast Flickr group. Nine out of ten, uh, not because there was anything wrong with the film, uh, but because one of them just came out black because I made a mistake. Uh, so there's uh, you know nothing to see there. I'm not hiding anything. I haven't kept the best to myself for fear that my millions in photographic revenues <laughs> will be diluted in any way, shape or form. It wasn't your nude self-portrait, was it, Aid? That's not going to generate millions, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's probably a lesser amount of money. Um, Not not as good, actually, as that. Yeah, what you didn't mention earlier on was that one of the the photos that you developed this week was actually a, a, a rather splendid photo of me. Yeah, yeah, from my from our London trip, yeah, yeah. So I've now made that my uh, my Instagram avatar. Is that the right thing? My Instagram profile picture. So yeah. uh, there you Proof go. Proof positive that you do smile, Aid. I do, I do more, more, more than people think that I do. But to be fair, uh, I don't often take a good photograph whilst smiling. So most of the <laughs> photographs I do have to tend to have a fairly straight face. But you've captured me marvelously across a, a couple of teapots and milk jugs. <laughs> yeah. The foley board for that brief bit of conversation we had at the camera museum. Well, I just want to very quickly drop in here. When I when I was in London last week with um, my two friends, who I think I mentioned last week, I have no interest whatsoever in photography. I did drag them up to the camera museum um, because it's a really nice cafe and they've actually had a bit of a rejig in there. And I would recommend to anybody who finds themselves in London, um, if you just want to go and have a nice cup of coffee or an orange juice or something like that it's a lovely place to go we sat down there had lunch in the little downstairs bit listened to some jazz and it was just a really nice chill place to be it's great the camera museum recommended absolutely you uh, you won't get any uh, complaints from me there i love that place too did they uh, did they appreciate it did they go wow and and did uh, did you buy any more cameras from the bargain bin uh, I think they 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 certainly liked the place because it was a, a miserable wet day in London on Saturday, and 
all the cafes and everywhere we looked were really busy. And so to be able to actually just go and find this little haven where it was really peaceful and just really chill to hang out was really nice. And um, they, I'm not, I don't think the cameras particularly blew their minds, but um, they liked it there. And uh, no, I didn't buy any more. I mean, I did look at what was in the basket, but I resisted the temptation of buying any really garbage point and shoots um, or any Hasselblad. I also managed to resist that temptation. So did well. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so back to the Instax then, the, the monochrome Instax. Uh, I don't know, Graham, if you or, or Rob, if either of you have had a chance to look at the uh, the Sunny 16 podcast Flickr group. Uh, I've posted a couple on Twitter and a couple on Instagram as well, actually. But I have to say, uh, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I think I said in last week's episode that... It might just be the thing that makes Instax cameras make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I was far wrong, actually. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm liking uh, what, what came out of it. The very, very first shot, I actually, I was just putting the cartridge, yeah, the, the film cartridge in the, uh, the pack in the camera. Uh, and my five-year-old daughter, uh, she trotted up to me and she said, oh, daddy, can I take a photo? I'm like, but it's my new film. <laughs> and I don't usually like the kids take film photographs anyway, because it's often it's a waste of money. But I let I said, go on then. So she the the very first photo uh taken with the monochrome uh was a photo of me. And my yeah. heart sank as she took it because she was waving the camera around all over the place <laughs> and it dipped towards the floor just as she pressed the button. <laughs> And I thought, oh, here we go. But actually, it, she she just managed to press the button in time. So I am actually pretty much in the centre of the frame. Uh, the background is um, is all over the place. It's all uh, blurry. And it's because what had happened is there was a window in the background. So the flash has frozen me, but the window d- didn't have the benefit of the flash. And it's uh, it's gone all blurry. But hey, it came out. Yeah, that that picture came out well the picture came out well and i also i do like the fact that you can see the, the slight look of consternation on your face in it's not what it looks like <laughs> please be careful <laughs> fair enough so that was the first start so yeah that was the start and uh, yeah it went on pretty well from there um i uh, you know me i've said uh, a number of times that with this instax camera the flash is a bit nuclear and i've taped it down and i thought to myself there's got to be a way i can use this somehow to get some better lighting so what i did is i i got out uh, you know just a, a bog standard light stand a, a reflective umbrella and a speed light and put the speed light into optical slave mode and i thought you know what i'm going to see if i can trigger uh, an optical slave flash using the flash on the instax camera and i did and it worked a treat actually so there's a couple uh, that I've posted where I've done exactly that actually both of them of my boy uh, one of them actually he's sitting playing with a, a helicopter why he's holding it I don't know because it's actually a remote control helicopter and he flies it around the house uh, but the shot uh, what I didn't realize is that in the window in the background uh, was going to have a reflection of the big uh, octagonal umbrella so it looks like he's got a halo which was <laughs> which is undeserved in every way shape or form <laughs> Uh, and the next one was one of the li- later ones. He's just sort of li- lying on the sofa, relaxing, and uh, and what you can't see there is just off to to camera right is a, 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 a 
a big umbrella again same thing a sort of reflective umbrella uh to tri- to trigger the thing so actually so i learned something this week which is you can with an instax camera trigger uh, a speed light which makes it a little bit more um entertaining to use yeah, it seems to open up quite a lot of creative opportunities for somebody competent with lights, so you, not me. <laughs> what do you think about Instax Square? Instax Square? Um, I'm intrigued, I have to say, uh, because, of course, it's going to be bigger uh, as well as uh, as well as well Square. Uh, I do like Square. Um, it, it, I, I shoot, you know, of course, the, the Holgers that I talk a lot about um, shoot square six by six, more or less. And they, they that looks good. I'm interested to try the Instax square. But I think for me, it's going to depend on the camera they launch to use it. Um, the I think the film could have great possibilities, especially if they bring the black and white out. Uh, but I, I it depends on if the camera is going to give you the control that you need to actually take decent photos. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because obviously Fuji um, have discontinued pack film, and everyone you know is very very upset about that. People use pack film, but they obviously have things up their sleeve. They came out with the square announcing the square format, although no one knows what kind of camera is going to come out for that yet. Um, that's a ridiculous like uh, Instax camera. <laughs> Yeah, that's just hit the streets, hasn't it? That's has it. Is it I, I think so. I've certainly seen adverts popping up for it now, and um, Corey linked me some uh, an advert. I think it was a, a French advert with lots of people um, at some afternoon party with a turntable and the, the like. It's, it, it was a whole scene. It looks like a kind of thing I definitely want to go to. Um, so yeah, they're they're getting out there and pushing that thing now. It's going to be interesting to see what what they come up with. If they come up with a camera that actually allows you to to, to give you some semblance of control, uh, it could be ludicrously popular. And if if someone like Lomography comes out with a an Instax Square back, like they, they you know, there's an Instax um, the traditional Instax Mini size back for Lomo LCA, I think, and a, a Diana, I think, is the same back. And there's also an Instax wide back for the Bel Air but if they come out with a square Instax back people are going to start modding that to go on six by six cameras and that could actually yeah assuming they make something where you can get the film plane up to up to the right place that could be great I think you're right if if Lomography were to come out with uh, and even if they came out with an Instax um, mini the traditional you know practically 645 size Format. If they came out with a back which had the film plane far enough forward without any gears in front of it, you could do all kinds of things. You could put that on a Bronica and, and mm. get beautiful shots. Yeah, I, I yes. I've, I've seen people, uh, I think you can get one for the Mamaya, is it the RB67? Uh, I think there are some people who are shooting that, but uh, no, it's great. And I think this this uh, monochrome film would be even better in a way. I think uh, because one of the things I said about the the color in stacks is that it doesn't have a great dynamic range, uh, and in a and when you put that you multiply that up by a camera that actually doesn't have a lot of control, it, it's a bit of a hit or miss situation. I mean, one of the shots that I took. Uh, which I was most pleased with, possibly the, my favourite out of the pack, is actually a, a London skyline 
um, where the bottom half is silhouettes of chimney stacks and then the, and the top half is sky. Um, that actually is taken right near Waterloo Station, um, although it looks like some sort of you know uh, old 1920s uh, photograph of some sort. Uh, uh, although the the houses are quite old there, but the, the it was interesting to see that although I think the I like the tones and I don't think the tones. Uh, uh, come out in digital as best as they uh, as they do. I've got a whole, I've got the whole pile of these things on the table in front of me here as we're talking, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to see in the tone uh, than there is that comes through on the scan. And they've been scanned on a flatbed scanner, so they're you know they're not just sort of you know snapped with my phone. But uh, uh, yeah, I think overall I'm uh, I'm quite impressed. Uh, How do because you did some digital pictures that you then shot printed through your xp1 printer at black and white didn't you Am uh, I, I did that? yeah i did uh, so how how do they compare the just the general look of them how does the genuine black and white instax compare with when you just printed black and white through the on the um color instax good question uh i i think i'd say there are two two differences um i think the first is that is color so uh, you may have seen some people commenting on the internet that they think that this new film has a cyan color cast to it and it's not true black and white or whatever uh, something to do with the mix of the chemicals uh, what I'm seeing actually you know uh, as I hold them up in front of my face right now is is really pleasing stuff the colors uh, sorry, the color the tone uh, is great and you don't notice as you hold it up that it may have a color cast or whatever but if you look at them side by side uh, they're definitely the the one that you print with the little printer is definitely more grayscale and there's definitely some element of color to the to the film itself um, but but it's not displeasing and it's not distracting and I think actually I quite like it uh, and I think the second thing I would say is about the resolving power of the film uh, which is that the the film has a resolving power greater than that of the camera that you shoot it with so when you do print out from the the little printer even though in pixels you're actually only getting 640 by 480 pixels because uh, I have the first generation printer not not the second generation one which is slightly higher pixel density but uh you, because you've shot it maybe with a a full-on digital camera of, of high quality uh, the film has the power to resolve that sharpness whereas the camera lens doesn't so there is a difference in the look uh but again it's not you know it's not displeasing i think just with these cameras you have to make sure that you're choosing your subject wisely and you you know what you're aiming for and uh you know and and uh understand how the film will react to it yeah that sounds interesting it sounds like a really nice product i mean the the, the wider uh, latitude alone is very appealing um so you yeah, don't get too that. excited about that it's not great but <laughs> but it's a lot i think it's marginally better than the color film yeah yeah what what do you think of this rob because i know you told me earlier that you don't shoot instax currently anyway but you have you do shoot some um instant film um mm. this of any interest to you yeah the only time i ever shot instax was um a friend of mine's wedding reception and they had a, an instax camera which was really it was fun to use i was really impressed by you know, I mean, compared to, <laughs> compared to impossible projects, the, uh, <laughs> the colours and all that kind of 
thing is quite accurate and it's quite and it's it's fun to actually watch the picture develop over the course of two or three minutes yeah i do i do shoot impossible project film and i do also shoot pack film um which is fuji peel apart film and occasionally polaroid peel apart film when you get it not too far expired um so yeah i I like shooting with instant film um i think it's really fun what, do, what what are you using that to shoot when you're doing that? Because that sounds in some ways, especially with the impossible stuff, like the absolute antithesis of what you're looking for with your portrait photography, because you, as you just said, you know, who knows what's going to come out of that. So, Yeah. What people say about the impossible project film is, oh, you don't know how it's going to come out. And that's not true at all. You know exactly how it's going to come out. It's going to come out looking like impossible project film. <laughs> So, as, as long as the picture you're taking, as long as you want it to look like that, that kind of like, you know, muddy sort of dreamy, uh, slightly colour cast look, yeah, then, then that's fine. I mean, I, I like the way it looks. I don't, I don't hate the way sort of lo-fi pictures look. I love the way it looks, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, okay, I'm, I want to. I've got a shoot planned. I want it to come out looking exactly like this and have a completely different idea in mind and take out your impossible project film and Polaroid camera and think that you can do it on that and it's not going to come out like impossible project. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, Fuji peel apart film is, is completely different and it is, it's uh, orders of magnitude sharper and, you know, with more dynamic range and just, it, it, it looks very different to both Instax and uh, Impossible Project or, or Polaroid Integral, you know, when it was still around. Yeah. Or for people who've got far expired stuff. It looks different and it's really nice to shoot. And there are some cameras um, that, you know, have really respectable lenses and full manual control and stuff that you can shoot that film with. Uh, yeah, so I've got um, a bit of that in the salad crisping drawer in my fridge. <laughs> Like a lot of people, but um... see, I keep mine in the door of my fridge. See, <laughs> I keep it in the drawer because as, uh, I, then I can say that that drawer is my territory, and then I at least have that amount of space, and I'm not like jostling against the milk. Uh, <laughs> the sal- with my wife. Where does the salad go? <laughs> salad. <laughs> Good point. Good. <laughs> my right. fridge has two, two drawers. It has two drawers. Fair enough. Okay, well, just to just to close this off, actually, um, I would say I, I've really enjoyed shooting my first pack. Uh, I have two other packs in the fridge. Uh, I'm going to try and use it, I think, uh, only in the camera. I'm not going to put the, the black and white in the printer because, as you've mentioned, Graham, I mean, with the printer, you have the option to print black and white anyway. So that there's there's no advantage as such to, to paying the extra money to use the black and white. Uh, film in in the ca- in the printer, uh, and I think I'm going to make sure that I, I try and shoot more uh, portrait or more people shots with it because I think mm. you know other, it's it's not going to be stuff that's going to give you great uh, uh, not not all the time great great landscapes. You're not going to get a lot of detail. Although actually the more graphical shots it's it's kind of suited to. Uh, but I'm looking forward to using more of it and uh, you know watch this space. I'll 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 be sharing uh, more as we as it goes forward. Um, but it's, I, sorry, I was going to say now that it's black and white, you, you could also muck around with filters with it as well, couldn't you? I mean, 
yellow filters and orange filters to punch up the contrast and stuff like that. You've got a whole world of other opportunities has opened up now with this. Are there any fo- are there any filters that take down the contrast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Instax doesn't need extra contrast. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, probably. Okay, well, this is not a bad segue actually because. Uh, we one of the things that we know that uh, Rob would like to talk with us about actually is uh, shooting color infrared film. So, uh, you know, by by which I imagine shooting Instax monochrome is probably very straightforward shooting than uh, shooting color infrared. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, they they I I loved I was scrolling down through your feed. I think probably the first time I was looking at it, and there's just you know loads and loads of really beautiful portraits shot in natural light, and suddenly. <laughs> there's these exceedingly striking um color infrared pictures and um they stick out in any feed no matter what you're shooting but particularly when there's completely different subject matter to what you're doing um the colors are spectacular and um that you just cannot move past them without being interested uh, but they are so different to all the rest of the stuff in your field so i think the, the first thing i want to know is uh, why is color infrared a thing that you are also into? Well, I think pro- probably most people have heard of color infrared film, but should we let's just describe what it is and yes. what it looks like? Because um, otherwise, people will probably really know what not know what we're talking about. So, um, infrared film. There's been a lot of black and white infrared film. I think around for quite a long time. I think. I don't know exactly how far it goes back, but um, black and white infrared film um, has a certain look. I, I've never shot any black and white infrared film. There's only ever been one sort of family of color infrared film, which has come from Kodak. Um, and it's a slide film. Um, you can develop it with E6 chemicals. And when you take a picture with this color infrared film, it Basically, it gives you a false color picture where if you're outside in broad daylight, where you've got the both the visible light and infrared light coming from the sun, where infrared light, where near infrared, near visible light, infrared light bounces off a, um, a surface that reflects those frequencies of light, that hits the film and you get a red image so if you take a picture of a landscape for example that has grass or trees and leaves and they reflect a lot of this infrared light those will come out red so green foliage comes out red or pink and subjects that don't reflect infrared light come out more or less natural and a subject that was say green and it might be exactly the same shade as the grass it might not necessarily reflect infrared light, so that is going to look different again and not look. So basically, the effect that you get is usually the classic look uh, with this Kodak EIR film is sort of pink trees, pink grass, normal sky, normal landscape. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's a really trippy look. It's un, uh, unmistakable um, it, just because you, you look at it and... It, it, it it does everything just looks surreally abstracted because the colors are so weird so okay why why are you shooting it just i don't know it's just really interesting it's it's rare it's it, it was discontinued as you can imagine some time ago 
uh, so it's quite difficult to get your hands on good stock. You will find some floating around. There is, there's one chap who you can find online um, who sells it in medium format, and there is a certain um, online store associated with a certain other film photography podcast. Oh, we'll, we'll happily promote uh, the FPP here. We, we don't care. This is why no. Um, yeah, Michael, <laughs> Michael they Rasso. Have, they have 35mm for, so they have some sort of mysterious 35mm version of this film available in their store, which is unmarked and is. is is mysterious but seems to work okay uh, and you can also if you're lucky you might find some on ebay um or or somewhere uh, that someone's had in the bottom of their freezer for a few years but it is getting harder to get hold of now yeah very much so yeah yeah what what's the actual because I, I i've not shot any infrared film for stop um but my understanding from what i've heard primarily on the fpp because they've talked about it quite a bit on there is that um the there's a, a you have to treat it quite a different way right from loading the film um and up through shooting and then getting it developed certainly with the black and white stuff what what is the differences in the process that you need to be aware of if you want to shoot color infrared film yeah, it, it's very, very sensitive. And it's very sensitive to how it's stored. You should be storing it in the freezer. Um, it's very, very sensitive to light leaks. Uh, and a lot of the slightly more modern film cameras, um, the likes of the sort of it, the Canon EOS film cameras and some of the other more modern kind of plasticky SLRs actually have... LED lights inside them that are used for things like counting the frames and they will fog your film. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be very careful with developing the film. If you send it to a lab, most um, E6 developing machines will fog your film because they have they also have little LEDs inside them um, that will burn out the film with infrared light. Um, if anyone you know wants to use a sort of night vision goggles in their dark room, that's going to ruin it. Any kind of CCTV, <laughs> that's going to ruin it. Is, is that something people do use night vision goggles in their dark room well yeah, apparently yeah i think so yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people might do that um yeah you need to be really really careful with it and and ideally you should be loading it into your camera in a dark bag and all this kind of thing you should be putting a piece of tape over the little film window if your camera has one of those uh yeah it's um yeah, in terms of storage and handling, it is it's very, very tricky. Um, having said that, I mean, I've, I've carried it, I, I've taken it through airports and it's been x-rayed and I've taken it around Mexico in the, in the boiling heat and, you know, without a, a fridge, let alone a freezer to store it in and it, it seemed to be okay. So as long as you're careful, it's okay. Um, shooting it, you need to be. You also need to be quite careful because the latitude is extremely, extremely limited. Like even more so than most slide film. Uh, you need to filter it because it's very blue sensitive. If you shoot it without any kind of filter, it won't work at all. You need to have at least a, a yellow filter on it, and mm -hmm. uh, to bring down the blue light because all the channels are uh, sensitive to blue light. 
Uh, and you can experiment and try orange filters or red filters uh, for different effects. Uh, and also, one of the really interesting things about this film is if if you find a roll of Kodak EIR, which is the original 35mm version of aerochrome film, which is like a cool way to say colour infrared film, uh, you will notice that it doesn't give you an ISO rating on it. It doesn't say this is ISO 100 film or this is ISO 400 film. Mm-hmm. The speed of the film is entirely dependent on the conditions you shoot it in. Right. So the point is that you could you could be out on a very bright day, and if that day is slightly overcast, then there's the level of visible light is very high, and the level of infrared light may be very low. Yeah. And if you're out somewhere, you know, near the equator in the middle of the day, the infrared level could be extremely high in comparison to that. Um, so you have to do a bit of research and figure out what is the best way to rate the film for the conditions you're in. Um, if you really, really want to come away with shots that are keepers, you should definitely bracket. You know, yeah. decide what you're going to rate it. Take a shot. Do a shot one stop under. Do a shot one stop over. Um, and in my experience, I've done this, and it's it's not like you can shoot a roll of film on a day. And you come away and go, oh, it was all my one-stop over brackets that were correct. Because which one of those brackets is, is going to come out with the nicest exposure could really depend on what you're pointing the camera at, what angle you are to the sun, whether you've got the sun behind you or whether you've got the sun next to you. It's really, really difficult to predict. So, yeah, if you want your pictures to come out, you... <laughs> so so yeah. in a world where film photography is, you know, is supposed to be accessible and you know, relatively straightforward <laughs> to pick up, this is this is not yeah. the beginner's film then? Not really. I mean, if, if, you're re- if you're really set on your pictures coming out right, then, yeah, then be careful. Um, if not, snap away and you might come out with something that you like. It might have very very limited dynamic range you might have blown out the sky or you know not got anything in the shadows or something but if you if you want to make the most of it um yeah there's certainly steps you can take is it the challenge that you find appealing with this because it, i mean it does sound like a lot of work and i, I know the question could be asked well if you want those colors you could just do this in photoshop yeah. um yeah, definitely, and 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 I've asked myself as well. You know, what's the point of this after you've after you've had that kind of gear acquisition syndrome, but for a film stock and be like, oh, I really need to have a roll of this and try shooting a roll of this. After you've kind of got over that and shot it, I've sort of asked myself the question: Well, why would you keep shooting this? Is it just a sort of funny novelty? You know, false color. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely enjoy the challenge, and I, I wanted to do. So one of the, the um, things you'll have probably seen on my feed is some shots um, of pyramids in Mexico. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I wanted to, I had the film in, in my freezer and I, I wanted to do something that I thought had never been done before. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who's ever done that, ever shot that subject on that film. Mm. And it's sort of, you know, I, I had a, I kind of justified it in my head and I thought, what, what, why shoot this in this way? And uh, it, it sort of made sense. But the, the more you look into it, the more interesting it becomes. I mean, the, the, the classic thing, 
classic look for the film is, is shooting a landscape and then you get the you know pink trees and red grass and whatever and you get this alien landscape but but there are lots of other interesting things you can do with it as well you know slightly more subtle uses of the film yeah which I, i'm interested in doing which i will do next year it's not a not a film stock to shoot in winter for sure because we don't have the <laughs> for it. yeah i, I picked up <laughs> next year when, when the sun comes out I, i've got many many more uh, things i'd like to try well, you were saying earlier that you are, I don't I get the impression this is not necessarily a firm thing, but you're thinking perhaps doing a workshop on this next year. Yeah, I, I am talking to um, to Photofusion in Brixton about doing a little workshop on colour and thread film. So that might be happening spring next year. Yeah, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, which which should be fun um, if it happens, probably involve a little, a little photo walk. And, um, and also probably one of the one of the more kind of obscure and interesting uses of the film will be worked into that as well that that would be awesome um anybody who wants to see more of your thoughts and pictures from this uh you wrote an article for uh emulsive.org um on your uh, color infrared photography yeah and um, people should absolutely go and check that out because you can see the pictures there um, that you took uh, on your travels and also back at home. And um, yeah, it, it's inspiring stuff. I uh, the hurdles are certainly off-putting, um, but if this course does happen, I would really love to know about it because I think that's it's one of those things that I would like to learn by doing it with somebody first. <laughs> absolutely, I'll let you know. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, well, and if you let us know, we will let everybody else know. Okay, cool. Well, thanks very much, Rob. Uh, sounds uh, intriguing. Sounds a little bit scary, and uh, but the the results speak for themselves, uh, and they're just amazing. Right. Okay. After this short break, we will come back uh, with some of our regular segments, shout outs, and shootouts, and all that sort of goodness. Well, it's that time of the week where we like to say hi to people and uh, we often like to give our guests the first go at this. So, Rob, uh, tell us, have you any shout outs you'd like to make? I have got one shout out that I'd like to do, um, who is another guy who does really nice portraits that I really like. Uh, They're not all on film. Sometimes you choose a bit on film. Some of them are digital, I'll be honest, most of them are digital, but if you are feeling slightly interested in portrait photography, then I think you should take a look because it's really good. Uh, his name's Gavin Batty, he has a website, which is gavinbatty.com, uh, and he's also at Gavin Batty on Instagram, so really easy, but yeah, seriously, check him out, he's a very, very good photographer. Okay, awesome. I'm just having a look at the uh, the the website now. Actually, yeah, there's some there's some great portraits there. I think his uh, Instagram account might be private, uh, so uh, at least that's okay. what it's saying to me. Uh, so best to go to gavinbatty.com if you'd like to have a look and see what he's up to. Uh, yeah, there's some some inter- some very interesting stuff actually. Um, well well worth a look. Excellent excellent shout out. Uh, any more? <laughs> just that one okay great well uh in which case i would like to uh, make a shout out to and i apologize in advance because i'm going to get the pronunciation of this surname wrong uh steve brockow or brockor 
Uh, on Twitter, he is 8888 at Seb. Um, is his his Twitter tagline, uh, and uh, he and I have swapped a couple of messages recently. Um, he's been out and about shooting with his Lomo Sprocket rocket, uh, so I asked him how it was going, and he said he likes it a lot. Uh, actually, he said uh, super easy to shoot, simple features, uh, easy to load. What's not what's not to like? Uh, he also has a, a website, uh, a little bit of a a, a longer uh, URL. He is stephenbrockowphotography dot com. That's Stephen with a V, uh, Brockow being B R O K A W photography dot com. Uh, uh, go and check out what he's got. There's a lot of good. Uh, black and white fashion style photography there uh, rather than the sprocket rocket stuff uh, but he uh, does a, a lot of that stuff actually in his spare time from a, a full-time job in finance so uh, go check it out graham over to you uh, yeah i've just got a couple of things i want to shout out to um first is i want to say thank you to declan magooch um you've got his twitter name in front of you ed because i can't remember it no his instagram name rather um it's but- at Two opened underscore two closed. Oh, there you go. Well, it'll be in the show notes anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, and he, yeah, he's got some nice, interesting shots on there. Real mixture of stuff on Declan's feed. But the reason I wanted to um, say thank you to him is that he nudged me this week to remind me about uh, the new 55 film um, because we talked about it a good few weeks ago now at the start of the campaign and it prompted me to go and look at it again. And very sadly, the uh, they did not make their um, goal with this. So that project hasn't been funded, which uh, is, I'm sure, exceedingly disappointing for them uh, and you know it's disappointing for everybody um, but you know that's the way these things go sometimes and um, maybe it shows that although there's a lot of very vocal people about um, wanting to be able to shoot uh, instant film in large format and and you know potentially packed film going forwards maybe the the vocal minority wasn't quite enough to make it happen but um, still uh, disappointing but uh, there you go not going to happen just yet unfortunately no, it's a shame that um, I, I think they uh, they did pretty well with their first uh, Kickstarter, if I remember. Was it a year or two ago? I mean, Graham, you're you're a large format photographer. You'd probably remember that better than I do. Uh, I don't know. Actually, Rob, you you you're the one who knows more about this. Neither of us do. How long ago was it since New Fifty Five first got funded? It was it was probably longer ago than that, wasn't it? Because the uh... oh, I honestly don't know. I'm I'm not a large format shooter. Um, it, it, I guess it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, but I I gather that their their first campaign for the black and white um, large format instant was pretty successful. I mean, they hit their goal. Um, they're still producing it. Um, so I find it quite interesting that that there was a market for four by five black and white uh, positive negative instant. Um, but those photographers aren't interested in color. Yeah. Yeah, that that it is it is very interesting. And, and there's a... considering that the Kickstarter was quite heavily um, marketed towards packed film shooters as well, um, with the idea that that basically if this four by five instant color was developed first, it would lead either New Fifty Five or maybe someone else with New Fifty Five's help to go on to make color pack film and and save pack film. Um, you know, it means that the campaign w- was sort of pushed out towards pack film shooters and presumably all, all those original uh, 4x5 shooters who were keen for the black and white stuff. And, and yet the um, 
the campaign didn't reach its, its target, which, yeah. which is sad, but it, it also very interesting. I mean, do you, I, I wonder, did they promote it enough? Because I didn't see a great deal about it popping up in feeds anywhere. I mean, may, admittedly, I am not the best at keeping a Hawkeye on things. Um, I happened across it because I was just looking for stuff at the time. Um, maybe it just wasn't, maybe they didn't promote it enough. Maybe they thought because the first one went so easily that they wouldn't need to be as heavily promoted. But uh, yeah, who knows, as I said, it's... Or just bad, bad timing, possibly. Yeah, there's absolutely that. I think over the last month, people's minds have been elsewhere. I think it's fairly safe to see people have had distractions. And I strongly suspect there are going to be, like myself, people who go, oh, no, that's finished already, has it? Oh. Um, But, you know, there you go. It's definitely a a bit of a surprise because given how a lot of photography projects by um, Lomography and, and other companies as well have been doing fairly well recently. And the, the, and the, as you said, the original New 55 project, um, it's it's surprising that this one didn't do better. But um, anyway, there you go. Um, the other thing I wanted to uh, not so much give a shout out to, but just draw people's attention to, because Rob really drew my attention to it, is Emulsive.org. Um, which is uh, a website. Well, actually, Rob, you've you've written for them, so please, can you give the pitch for Emulsive? Because I had a quick look earlier, and it looks like a, a great resource for people. But can you give the pitch for what it is? Sure. Yeah, uh, Emulsive is a is a website that um, is for people who are interested in shooting film, and there are a lot of guest contributors on there, um, photographers talking about about what they shoot and why, and what interests them. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good resource, I think, and they're they're really um, yeah doing a lot for the for, for people who are interested in film. I think uh, yeah, I, I wrote a little article on there about the color infrared films that we were speaking about. Um, so that's up on there. Um, yeah, and and they're really nice people as well. So if you are interested in them, uh, and even if if you might have something you might want to write about, they're they're quite open to um, to new contributors. So. If, if there's something you want to speak about and tell the world about or, sh- or show the world your photography, it's quite a good way to do that. Yeah. It, it seemed like an awesome website, even just from my very cursory glance earlier to find your article. Um, it seemed well worth somewhere spending time with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, I think that's probably it for our shout outs. And uh, one thing I, though, one thing I forgot to mention is that uh, I still have not contributed to what is now uh, the very last days of the Sunny 16 Cheap Shots Challenge uh, for Animals and Wildlife. I have a good authority from the internet that my film has been received by the developers, which seems to have taken quite a long time. (laughs) Uh, So hopefully we'll be able to uh, conclude that next week. Uh, Hopefully nothing, Gade. Um, As listeners hear this, as this comes out on Wednesday, uh, listeners basically have until the Sunday, which is when we'll next be recording, to put their images up somewhere we can find them, whether it's on Instagram or in our Flickr group or on the pixelated forums. Um, Yeah, Sunday the whatever that sunday is that'll be um, the, that'll be the 27th of november that sunday sun, there you go sunday the 27th get them up by then please because yes next week we've got our uh special guest judge coming to harshly criticize oh um, do we oh okay uh, is it uh yeah. are, are we are we telling people who that is 
Oh, there'll be a surprise for next week. We don't want to. Don't want to it's it's going to be great. I, I I know that you weren't happy with the result in the first round of the cheap shots challenge, and so my expectation is you've chosen a judge that'll be more biased towards your style of work. Is that correct? Uh, I was, but uh, there's been a problem with my <laughs> pictures, which I will talk about next week when it's relevant. But there's uh, there's been a there's been a bit of a disaster. I don't okay. want to talk about it. Okay, well, um, on that cliffhanger then, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listeners, uh, I would like to say a, a huge thank you to Rob for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed yourself, Rob. Uh, yeah thanks for having me oh well it's a it's a pleasure it's a pleasure and hopefully you'll come back i'd also like to say thank you to chris who gives us so much support with the production of the podcast and of course to bill for the show notes and kevin for the music you can find us uh on instagram at sunny 16 podcast and as graham's just said as you hear this you'll have a couple of days left still to post the cheap shots challenge photographs uh so if you can hashtag those hashtag cheap shots challenge or uh at mention us in your post uh that would be fantastic uh you can catch uh, me mostly on twitter uh, at sunny 16 podcast and you're always most welcome uh, to either send us an email sunny 16 podcast at gmail or uh, to post photographs to our Flickr group again sunny 16 podcast and of course, when you're uh, you've had enough of interacting with Graham and I, uh, Rob's website uh, is a great place to go. Look, uh, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? Well, yeah, coincidentally, I'm changing my website this week. So uh, by the time the podcast goes out, um, hopefully that's going to put the pressure on me to get that finished. Um, so the new web address is robhawthorne.com. Okay, and that of course will be in the show notes as well. Great. Well, thanks very much for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Do you play the guitar, Rob? I don't. Fucking hell, what instrument? Sorry? Do, do I appear like someone who does play the guitar? Well, you you shoot you shoot. Well, you're a photographer, and yeah. even further, you shoot film. And I, I just have this theory that most photographers, because they're creative people, are like more likely than average to play an instrument. Um, and I think film photographers even more so because they're the kind of people who have, who have a tendency to pick up hobbies and go, well, this seems like a good idea. Um, well, so I used to DJ and I, I wrote a lot of electronic music. There you go. Nailed it. I'm going to put <laughs> tick in that box. <laughs> I don't think you did nail it. I you asked him if he it. played the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he did it. He's a musician. He's a musician.